Morning, everyone. It's good, good to see you here this morning, and it's good that we can worship together again today. Why don't we start our worship by t- taking our hymn books, turning to hymn number 100, and let's sing together. Good morning. Welcome to our worship time. Whether you are here or whether you're joining us via media during the week, we pray that you will be refreshed and blessed as we worship Jesus Christ, our Lord, together. I'm looking forward to continuing our study in 1 Peter. Last week, Peter talked about our relationships to those in authority This week, Pastor Dean will lead us through Peter's teaching on our relationship with each other, our spouses. Many of you have seen all the books that are in Pastor Dean's office, and many of you may not know that he has maybe even more in his computer. And um, so at times he allows me to read some and share some with me. So... And I appreciate this because over the years I've learned that many times this subject matter has been very relevant to my own spiritual growth. And it may be something he sees in me. I'm not sure. I know that others, uh, others over the time, whenever I've got a book from someone, I know I need to pay attention. So <clears throat> last month, Peter Pastor Dean shared a book called Happiness. 
The book connects our relationship at home with our relationships to our neighbors. So for a call to worship, I'd like to read two small paragraphs out of that book. Doesn't the world need to see Christians as happy in order to know the truth of our faith and be drawn to our great Savior? My answer is yes, yes, and they need to see that our happiness is the indomitable work of Christ in our midst of our sorrow. Happiness in Christ is one of our most powerful evangelistic tools. So the second one says, if God works in our lives to make us happier in him, this happiness will spill over into the lives of our family and friends. We can count on it. Joy in Christ is God's gift not only to us, but also to those around us. It's a gift to others as well. This is why parents and grandparents don't just owe it to themselves to be happy in Christ. They owe it to their children and grandchildren, everyone else who they touch. O oh, Father, you are a grace of God. You are a God of grace, mercy, and happiness. Help us to be that, that kind of light and salt in the world around us. Jesus, in your parables, you finished with telling us about the joy and celebration in heaven. Teach us to be like you. Help us to live the good news. Give us opportunity to share this with those around us. And may our lives reflect reflect the hope that we have. Father, I ask that you anoint the words Pastor Dean has received for us. Bless this morning as we worship you together. Amen. Let's keep on singing. Would you take your hymn books and let's turn to number 589. Encamped along the hills. 589. And why don't we stand to sing?
What a great song. I take encouragement from it. Turn back a few pages and let's sing number 583. 583. Lord Jesus, I long to be perfectly whole. Let's take a look in our, our bulletins and, um, and take a look at uh, some of the work that's happening in our church and in our community. Um, for those of you um, who are in various committees, there, take a note um, about the dates and times on that. Um, we have um, Bertie Giesbrecht and Irene Neufeld in Boundary Trails Healthcare. And um, let's pray for them. Our missionaries of the week are Preston and Myra Wheeler, and uh, we've just shared here about some of the amazing things that God is doing and we are expecting God will be doing. And um, Preston has shared over time, and uh, I connect with him, that what COVID sort of 
potentially stopped, which was all their travel that they've been regularly doing to many countries, which they had been doing. All that work that they had been doing was preparation for this time because they were able to connect with at least 10 times as many countries. They did training, you know, with video conferencing, they were able to to train that many more people in this, this time. So God does multiply. And on take a note there, uh, Susan's visit with Betty Reimer went very well. Um, Betty also um, needs for us to pray for her, especially in that she is uh, recognizing that uh, she's going to have to make some life decisions. So let's, let's walk with her as we think about her in this week. Um, there's a, a, change, a little change on the expression of sympathy. Um, instead of the funeral was held on Wednesday, that's the wrong date, it was Friday, October 29th. Um, let's also pray for that family. And, um, you know, this is an additional um, burden for Gertie. So we just let's pray that God be near them. And we have a, a praise item. Um, Tina Hildebrandt is sharing that she has been miraculously healed and um, that she's thankful to God and she's, uh, you know, praising him, you know, for that intervention. And imagine also an affirmation, life is not done. More work to be done. Note of thanks from Sharon Heinrichs. Thank, thankful, thankful for all the meals that have been brought to her to help with her healing. On the next page, we have a planning session. Um, I think we should take note of it. I'm going to read it for you. Our church has been in preparation to have a planning session about the future of our church. We've invited Daryl Kaler of Scope Leadership Development to be with us on Sunday, November 14th. At the end of the service, he will share about the Leading with Vision workshop he is planning together with our church community here. He will be sharing about the Leading Vision workshop workshop and the planning session, and everyone is encouraged to to stay and listen and hear what God might be looking and leading us to. For those of you that and others that maybe weren't able to listen to Kevin and Julia Garrett, there's books available, and just see Susan at the office. And um, there's also DVDs and CDs available on the mission um, evening. We need, uh, for those that are looking for an opportunity to serve, we have two places in particular where there's people needed, someone needed, um, to serve on the worship committee and also Sunday school superintendent. So um, take a look, um, take a listen maybe to what your heart's telling you. Let's take uh, time and let's pray for the work of our church. Father, we thank you for who you are and we thank you for the opportunity that we have to work uh, in, in our church, in, in, in among our own people, but other, Father, also for opportunities to work out there with our neighbors and with others. And we think of uh, uh, um, Preston and Myra, who have a particular work 
And uh, we have many, uh, we have others that are working out in the world someplace. Father, be with them and walk with them in these special times. Father, we also want to bring uh, Gertie uh, Giesbrecht and Irene Neufeld to you. Give them the the peace that passes all understanding um, as they deal with and come to terms with um, their illnesses. Give direction to the physicians uh, and the doctors and the nurses as they as they serve them. Walk with them, Father, and and put your hand and let them know that you are that you are there. Father, we thank you um, for a good visit that Susan had with Betty Reimer, and we thank you for the for the peace and for the the witness that Betty is to us about how to how to resolve um, and how to make good decisions at the at the time when when life looks and feels to be short. Lord, we want to praise you for the miraculous healing that you gave to Tina. Father, um, again, we, we can see that there is, there is always there's hope. And when it seems like there is no hope, and um, Father, we know that you are um, um, a healer, and you are a, a physical healer, healer, but you're also a, a, a spiritual healer. Father, we want, would like you. We we ask that you be near the Nettie Weeb family, and walk with them as they as they work through um, and 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 move on after you know Nettie has passed on. Father, we thank you for the work that you're doing in Sharon Heinrich's life. They've had many setbacks in their in their lives lives over the time, and we just ask that you grant. Healing here, swift healing, Father, that so Sharon can be, be back, back at work. And, um, and um, we know that you will walk with her. Father, we ask for your hand on Daryl Kaler as he helps lead a planning session with our leadership and with our church community. Give him wisdom and give him the words. And um, Father, also be with us as we look to see what it is that you want from us as a church community. What is your plan for us? And help us to discover that. Father, I ask that you bless the gifts that and resources that will be that are given to you. Multiply them and put them to work in your kingdom. Pray all of this in your name. Amen.
Scripture reading this morning will be taken from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 33. That's Ephesians 5, verses 22 to 33. Wives, submit your husbands as to the Lord. Submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church. His body, of which he is a Savior, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Submission is not a nice term in our culture for two reasons. First, today's society glorifies independence and not being accountable to anyone. Second, most of our society views submission as a state of inequality or being inferior to others. Yet the Bible points out that this is not the case at all. God himself ordained submission. And he ordained submission in regards to authority within the home, within the country, and all parts of human life. The Greek word translated submit, hupotasso, found in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 22 that was just read, and 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 1 and other passages is a military term that means to arrange oneself under or to place under rank. This is not a dictatorship. Instead, it is a way to organize oneself to fulfill the position that has been given your role. A ministry called gotquestions.org says this about submission. Submission is an important issue in relation to marriage. Even before sin entered the world, there was still a principle of headship and husband, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. Adam was created first, and Eve was created to be the helper for Adam. And God established several types of authority in the world. Number one, government to enforce justice in society and provide protection. Pastors, number two, pastors to lead and feed the sheep of God. Number three, husbands to love and nurture their wives. And number four, fathers to admonish their children. In each case, submission is required, citizen to government, flock to shepherd, wife to husband, and child to father, close quote. 
This morning, we want to continue on the message series found in 1 Peter entitled, The Overflowing Provision of God's Grace. So take your Bibles with me and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. I've entitled this morning's message, The Appropriate Conduct for Christian Wives and husbands, the appropriate conduct for Christian wives and husbands. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look into your word once more, we ask that you would show us what it means to love one another, what it means to submit, what it means especially to submit to you in everything that we do. I pray, Father, that you once again, you would show us from your word how we are to live our lives. And Lord, we know that when we fall in line with you, that our lives turn out the way that you want them to, that there is happiness and joy and pleasure in serving you. In you, everything is found as we submit to you. So I pray, Father, once again, enlighten your our hearts with your word as we gaze into it. Help us to take things away that we will apply to our lives and that we will become doers of the word and just not hearers. For this we pray in Christ's name, amen. The appropriate conduct for Christian wives and husbands, number one, submission to win an unbelieving husband, found in verses 1 and 2 of First Peter. Listen as I read First Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. It says this, Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by their behavior of their wives. When you see purity and reverence of your lives. To understand this portion of scripture, we need to once again reiterate uh, what the purpose of this letter really was. The theme of the letter was the overflowing provisions of God's grace. That's right. In all circumstances, in all heartache, God provides overflowing grace to those who suffer in any conditions. Now, we must remember why this letter was written. It was written to believers who were scattered across the Roman Empire. These people were facing all kinds of difficulty and hardship over the government that was placing things upon them. They were actually losing their lives. They were being tortured for their faith. And God says that in the midst of this, what will happen? They will experience overflowing provisions of his grace. In other words, we don't experience God's grace until it actually happens or something happens to us. I can, both my wife uh, and I can speak from experience. When we lost our son, the difficulty that we went through And yet during that time, we experienced God's presence and strength like we had never experienced it before. Well, I want to tell you, under this circumstance back here, people were losing their lives and their loved ones, and they knew what it was like to go through extreme suffering, and yet God's provided grace for that time. And maybe perhaps you are going through a difficulty 
You can go through all types of difficulties, loss of loved ones. You can have problems in your family, problems financially, problems in all different, different difficulties. And yet God in his grace gives strength. In the previous chapter, Peter said that as believers, they need to obey the government, even though they may be tyrants. And slaves need to obey their masters, even though they may be cruel. Now he addresses another line of suffering, and that is wives who are married to unbelievers. Wives, he said, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands. Now voluntary submission is in view here, and the principle remains the same concerning obedience in any form of government over a believer. When man's law crossed God's law, then a believer obeys God rather than man. And we must remember that. We always obey God over what man says. It doesn't matter. We are, we, we come before and are accountable to God. So here in this situation, more than likely, many of these women came to faith who were married. They were already married. The gospel spread all over the place. And people heard the gospel and they responded to it. Their husbands were probably worshippers of Zeus, a pagan deity. And now they wanted their wives to continue in their religion of worshipping Zeus. Paul tells them be submissive so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over by the words, or by the behavior of their wives. He does not say go and worship the deity, but be submissive in any other areas that you're called to be. And if something transgresses the word of God, you still obey the word of God. And then when they, your husbands, see the purity and reverence of your lives, they will change. There are many husbands and, and children who have come to faith because, uh, come to faith in Christ because of their influence of a godly wife or a godly mother. August of Hippo lived from 354 to 430 AD. His mother, Monica, was a dedicated believer, and his father was a pagan who came to faith on his deathbed. Augustine lived a wild, sensual life when he left home. His mother, Monica, prayed for him, encouraged him, and warned him many times about the lifestyle that he was living. Then at the age of 31, Augustine came to faith in Christ. I want you to think about that. That was because he had a godly mother. He had a godly mother who submitted to her husband. Renowned author and defender of the Christian faith, Lee Strobel came to faith because of his wife, Leslie. He received a journalism degree from University of Missouri and a master's of studies in the law degree from Yale, from Yale Law School. Listen to the testimony of Lee and how his wife helped draw him to Christ. She became a follower of Christ first. She gave her life to him first. And a matter of fact, he says in other articles that he has written or in the books that I've read, he was so angry about this. 
He was so angry. He says, oh, we had a good marriage and things were going good. And my wife became a Christian. He says, I was so angry. Listen to his testimony of Lee's, how his wife helped him to draw to Christ. On the website entitled Faith Hits, um, Lee gives his testimony when his wife became a Christian. Listen, he says, Leslie did change. But to Strobel's surprise, the new version of his spouse was a welcome presence in his home. He says, I saw a positive change in her values, in her character, in the way she related to me and to the children. It was a winsome and it was attractive and it made me want to check things out. So I went to church one day, mainly to see if I could get her out of this cult that she had gotten involved in. In his visit to the church, Strobel says he heard the message of Jesus taught in a way that was far different from when he experienced, from what he had experienced before. This time he said he could understand it. The pastor explained that forgiveness is a free gift and that Jesus died for our sins so that we could spend eternity with the Almighty and an all-loving fa- loving Father in heaven. Lee says, uh, Lee says, I walked out saying, I was still an atheist, but also saying, if this is true, this has a huge implication for my life. Strobel spent the next nine year, or the next year and nine months putting his legal training and experience in journalism research to investigate whether or not there was any credible credibility to Christianity or any other faith system. And through all his research, Strobel came to the conclusion that it would require more faith for him to continue being an atheist than it would for him to follow Jesus and become a Christian. He said, to be an atheist, I would have to swim upstream against the torrent of evidence pointing towards the truth of Jesus Christ. And I couldn't do that. I was trained in journalism and law and to respond to the truth. So on that day, November 8th, 1991, Lee Strobel received Jesus Christ as his Savior. He says in his one book, I believe it's the case for Christ, that day he got down on his knees by himself, by his bed, and he prayed and asked the Lord to forgive him and made Christ Lord of his life. Just like with my wife, he says, my life began to change. Over time, my values, my character, the purpose of my life began to be transformed over time in a way that as I look back, I can't imagine staying on the path I was on compared to the adventure and the fulfillment and the joy of following Jesus Christ. That is the influence and the power of a submissive wife. That's how much power God has given her. 
Now we come to a second point of the appropriate conduct for the Christian wife, for Christian wives and husbands. Number two, beauty for, uh, comes from the internal rather than the external. Beauty comes from the internal rather than the external found in, found in verses three and four. Peter says this, your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as braided hair and wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight, close quote. Now listen closely. This is what the scripture is not saying. Peter is not saying that wives should not keep their hair nicely or wear any jewelry. That's not what he's saying. Instead, they were not to spend excessive money on their outward appearance or their or dress seductively. True beauty is not based on the outward, but on the inner qualities. The Roman Empire was very was a very progressive society where there was lots of wealth. One can see how a believing wife may think that if she is going to have an impact on her husband or share the gospel with him, that she would have to dress to a certain standard and be adorned with the things of that culture. However, Peter points out that true beauty is found in the inside. He calls this unfading beauty because it never changes once a godly godly character is developed. But physical beauty always diminishes with time. It does. It does. If anybody disbelieves that, just look in the mirror. And we certainly find out very quickly. And um, I often say, I get up in the morning, I look in the mirror, and I'm depressed. But that's okay. I walk away, I have Alzheimer's disease, I forget what I look like. (laughs) But it's true. We just look at ourselves, we say, oh, I don't look so good as I did before. And then a little while, you look again, you say, well, the other day I looked better than today. And (laughs) that's the story of our lives. Beauty is on the inside. Beauty is what attracts us to people. Beauty is what attracts us to Jesus Christ. Because when we see somebody living a life in pattern such as Jesus lived, we are attracted. We're attracted because that's who God is. In a similar way, this can also be said of the husband or to the husband. This, husbands may seek to be successful and make their mark in life. There's nothing wrong with this. However, true, the true character of man is never based on success or wealth, but on the beauty of a living relationship with Christ. That's it. That goes for women. That goes for men. That is why a godly woman who has inner beauty, will attract and influence her husband. He will see and know that she is different and has something that he desires. He will say, she's got something, I need that. What is it? 
And that's what happened to Lee Strobel. If we want to attract anyone to the gospel, it will not be because of our outward appearance. It will be because of the beauty inside, because they will see that we love the Lord. Billy and Ruth Graham were very close friends with Johnny Cash and his wife, June Carter. One day, June gave Ruth a gift of a mink coat. And Ruth graciously turned it down. She said to, um, uh, to June, I can't wear this. It would give the wrong impression to everyone. And that's so true. It's not about how we look. It's not about us. It's about Jesus who indwells us, who walks with us, and who is by our side all our time. True beauty comes from the inside and not the external. We now come to the third point of the appropriate conduct for Christian wives and husbands, which is number three, following godly examples from the past. Following godly examples from the past. Who were those people that they were supposed to be following? Verses five and six says this, for this is the way that holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands like Sarah who obey Abraham and called him master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. They were submissive. Where it says Sarah called Abraham her husband, master, it it would be like calling him sir, just a title of respect that she respected him. Peter speaks about holy women of the past as examples. They would have included Sarah, which is spoken about here, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah, who were wives of the patriarchs. T.R. Schreiner gives his insight into verse 5. He says this, listen closely. The most important comment in the verse is that these women put their hope in God. These women put their hope in God. This comment is instructive for it informs us that these women did not submit to their husbands because they believed their husbands were superior to them intellectually or spiritually. They submitted to their husbands because they were confident that God could reward them and would reward them for all or all those who put their trust in him. Close quote. They believed in God and they trusted him. That is also a wonderful promise to every believer. If we do what the Lord tells us, he will reward us. He will reward us not necessarily the way that we want to be rewarded, but he will reward us, whether it is down here or one day when we shall stand before him. We now come to the final point of the appropriate conduct for Christian wives and husbands, which is number four, living a Christ-like life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Living a Christ-like life 
so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Verse 7. Listen very carefully to what this verse is saying because it is addressed to Christian husbands and their responsibility. This is for husbands. It is clear that if the husband does not treat his wife properly, God will not answer his prayer. Marriage was never meant to be a dictatorship or a place where more muscular where the more muscular one muscles down on the one who has lesser strength. Marriage is a partnership of working together in harmony by serving one another. Now there's two types of submission found in the scripture, and unless we fully understand this, it'll always be confusing to us. The first one is positional submission. God has ordained the family from the beginning where the husband is head of the home. He leads and works with his wife. And when a final decision has got to be made in certain areas, he makes that. He leads in that. He is the example. And he sets the pace. There can't be two heads of a house or two heads of an organization. Because that would mean chaos. And when one speaks, the other one would speak different. And you can't have that. And why do we have that? Because one is lesser in quality than? No, because this is what God ordained. And he has put this down. Now the second type of submission is found in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21. Submit one to another out of reference of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. The Apostle Paul states this just before he says the next verse of this. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. In other words, there is a mutual submission within marriage. There's the initial position that God has given authority over the man, but you submit in this. Let me give you an example. Once again, the word submit is a military term that, where one organizes their life around another. For example, if a wife manages her role in department around the husband, he needs to support and submit to her requirements. If she asks him um, not to walk in the house with dirty shoes, then he better listen and he better submit. If he asks him not to sit down with his dirty clothes on the furniture, he better submit. Not only should he better submit, he better support her. And when a friend comes over of his and decides he wants to sit on the couch with dirty clothes, he will say, you're not going to do that. I don't want you because... This is my wife's place here, and we will submit. And his friend will say to him, well, when I come over to your office where you work, you let me sit with dirty clothes on yours, and he will say, well, that's fine for me, but this is my house, and this is my house and my wife's house, and we will submit to what she wants. 
But better than all of this is this, is to be proactive and to work together as a team. At a family camp Cheryl and I attended, well, we actually um, had uh, led the camp. Cheryl and I, we, we were head of the camp. There was a service where people were encouraged to share how God was working in their lives. One man who was an older individual, I knew him well from the past. I was friends with his children. He got up before everyone and he was sharing about how God was working in his life. Matter of fact, him and his wife's life. He said this. He said, I hate to do dishes and that is why I help my wife all the time. I thought to myself, this is going to be very interesting what he was saying. And then he said this, I hate to do dishes so much. My wife hates to do dishes so much. So we work together as a team and we enjoy one another fellowship. We're together on this and we come away joyful being happy together because we work together. And I thought to myself, that's the perfect idea of marriage. The husband, of course, is the authority in the home. But where you can work together, where you can come together, it makes all the difference in the world. If we support our spouses and love them the way that they are, we are called to love them, then they won't have any problems submitting. It's be when we become the dictator and we just think what I say goes all the time. No, what we choose, we always choose in light of our spouse and our children for what is best and what God wants. That is how God has ordained the marriage, ordained the family, There is authority, there is love, and there's submission within the context where we work together. And it doesn't mean, and it's the same way, whether it's within the government or whether it's within the church or whether, wherever it is, we serve together in that respect. Gary Thomas has a short video clip. And he talks about what it means to cherish your spouse. Listen closely to this. We're going to listen to a short. It's from Focus on the Family. Here's a couple of minutes. Listen closely. And then married his second wife, who would later die of cancer. But he said his second marriage was so much richer and happier than his first marriage, not because his second wife was more excellent than his first wife. He said, I knew them both well because he'd been married to both of them for almost two decades. He goes, my attitude was completely different. So it was a bit more about him. Yeah, I treated them like you're talking about. I treated my wife like royalty. I treated my second wife like royalty. I I called her princess. I, I treated her like one. I served her. He goes, I got used to doing that with my first wife when she went through cancer and I had to do everything and I had to do everything as a single man so I just kept doing that for my second wife and she was so grateful and she was so happy and she thought she had you know already got a taste of heaven I didn't know that husbands acted like this but he didn't realize I didn't act like that in my first marriage but what really hit me and what I really stress is that he was adamant it's not that my second wife was more excellent than my first that's not why we had a happier marriage it's that my attitude was so different I cherished my second wife 
and had a much happier marriage. And so I'm saying regardless of what your spouse does, if you cherish your spouse, I believe you're going to have a happier marriage. Yeah. Uh, Gary, this has been so encouraging, and I know uh, we've offered, you have offered a lot of hope and even motivation to couples who say, how can we do this better? So uh, thank you for that. Um, we have a lot more to cover in your book. Cherish the one word that changes everything for your marriage. And I want to invite you back next time so we can dig a little deeper and find out more of the great truth that you have found in this idea of not only loving your spouse, but cherishing them. Can we do it? I'm, I'm eager to do that. Thank you. Hey, I'm John. We missed just the part, the first, I, I, I put it to the wrong place on there, and we just missed the first. As he talked, he talked about this. Gary had said this, and the first part is really humorous because he gives this example because it was done here in Winnipeg. He said he came up here to do some teaching on seminars, and the first, he, he, he came and he spoke in Winnipeg. And he says, man, he says, he came in February. He says, if you want to experience cold, and of course, he's from the States. He says, you just come up to Winnipeg and you'll experience what it means to be cold. And then he said he met a man who came forward after and talked about cherishing his wife. And this man who came forward told this story and you got the tail end. This is what happened. His first wife had a terrible disease, she, he says. She was dying of cancer. And what happened is that he did everything for his wife. He went the extra mile. He treated her so special, he says, so that she had thought that she had already a glimpse of heaven because his heart has changed as he served. Then she passed away. And four years later, he got married again. Now, the first 20 years he lived with this wife, two decades, his first wife, the second one, he lives another 20 years, and she gets cancer at the end, and then he ministers to her. That's when he says, my second marriage was so much better than my first, not because my first wife was lesser, but because he had learned to cherish and to give himself fully, and his life was transformed. And so when you listen to him, he says, that's what it talks about cherishing. When you cherish someone, you're willing to go the second mile and the third and the fourth. You're willing to give of yourself to such extent. And he said, in the second marriage, he treated his first life like he, he treated his second wife like he should have treated his first life at the beginning of their marriage. Love makes all the difference, and cherishing makes all the difference. And if spouses cherish one another, there'll be unity, happiness, there'll be joy, there'll be fulfillment, there will be contentment, because you'll be doing what God intended and ordained the marriage to do. Would you take your hymn books and let's... Sing a closing song, I Am Thine, O Lord, number 581. We're going to sing the first three verses, then Pastor Dean will give us the benediction, and then we'll sing the last verse. Would you stand, please? Number 581.
the, the Apostle Paul says this. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and the God our Father who loved us by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope. Encourage your heart, hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Heavenly Father, as we pause before you, we thank you for marriage that you have ordained. We thank you that you love this world so much that when you place man and woman at the center in the garden, you gave them a command and not to eat of the fruit. Of the fruit. And yet they sinned. But with your love, you continued to go before them. And because of this, you have also given love to them as they love each other and serve you even in the fallen world. I pray, Father, now that you would give us strength in that place. Lord, that we would love our spouses and that we would serve them to the best of our abilities with your strength. And if we do not have a spouse, we will encourage other marriages to do what is right. So I pray, Father, as we go our way into the world this week, that you would give us a testimony to share with others so that Jesus can share, so that others can see Jesus within our lives. Thank you, Lord, once again for letting us worship here today and the privilege of resting on this day. For this we pray. Amen. Amen.